Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast. And as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. When I was a kid, um, I look back on memories and when I talked to my mom uh, when I was a little child, like from baby to toddler, uh, I don't really remember, but what she said was, I really wanted security and I wanted comfort. And when I was uh, little, she said I would carry around this blanket. It gave whole new meaning to security blanket. Because everywhere I went, I had this blanket and I sucked on my thumb. Okay, so if you've ever seen, the, the, way, the best way I can describe it is, is if you've ever seen the cartoon Peanuts or Charlie Brown, I would be that kid called Linus, the one that carries the blankets all stuck in his thumb. But as I grew into a toddler, I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. Like, I can't have him go to kindergarten having a blanket and sucking his thumb, so what do I do? And so what my mom did, and I was too little to remember, but she started cutting the blanket little by little. So she'd cut, I guess, when I was sleeping or whatever, she'd cut a little bit off, and the next day I'd have a little bit less, and then she'd cut a little bit more off and cut some more off. But guess what? That didn't stop me. So I'm carrying around this half blanket that's cut off still with my, my thumb in my mouth, and then finally she got it all the way to a little bitty triangle. And I held it for a little bit, and then I'm like, Okay, I'm done with the triangle. I'm done with sucking my thumb. But I wanted to be comfortable and secure. Everywhere I went, that blanket went. And it doesn't matter if you're an adult, a young adult, or a child. We all want security and comfort. And it is so true, in fact, that that is the one thing that we pursue. And if we feel secure, we feel safe, we feel comfortable, and it comes in in many ways— if our kids and life is going great, we feel comfortable, we feel secure. If our job and we're still getting the money or we get a raise or the job is going good and we have no tension between coworkers, feel good, feel comfortable, right? We feel good too when our relationships are well and they're going smooth. We feel good when our retirement is doing what it's supposed to be doing and the stock market is supposed to be doing what it's doing. We feel good, right? You feel secure and you feel comfortable. And in all those aspects, we, we have this just sense of in, we are in control. That when we're secure and we're comfortable, we're, we're um, completely in control. But I know for a lot of us, there are things in life that are uncomfortable. And a lot of us when those things become uncomfortable, we feel like we have a sense that we lose the control, right? We lose the control, we lose the security, we lose the comfort. Now, any of those things, if they go in the opposite directions, your kids, your jobs, your relationships, um, your retirement, any of those things go in the opposite direction, all of a sudden we hit panic. And we don't feel comfortable, we don't feel secure, and so we try to just try to figure things out. But there are other things in life that don't make us feel comfortable. In fact, they make us feel uncomfortable. And anytime you're in public, there's, there's a few times, and we'll talk about it in a second, but there are times when things don't make you comfortable. And for one, I know reckless driving does not make people comfortable, right? Uh, if you've ever been on an airplane and all of a sudden the, the pilot says, okay, fasten your seatbelts, we have turbulence. And you, this plane just starts shaking. You feel like you're on a roller coaster with no track, 
right? And, and there's just this sense of uncomfortableness, too, when you see a parent yelling at his child in public, or you see two parents just kind of going at it, or a couple just going at it in public, and you're like, oh my, what is, what is going on here? And there's also times where you're in kind of a, I would say a meeting of any type, and it kind of gets heated, and you're kind of the third party, and you're like, this is uncomfortable. I wish I could just leave right now, right? And there's those things that make us uncomfortable, and when things are uncomfortable, we take notice. When things are uncomfortable, we take notice, and they stick out. And so when you think about all of this, what sticks out, you can go to those instances when you're in public, those things that stuck out that make you uncomfortable, the other thing that really sticks out to people is religious people. Good or bad. If people claim that they're religious and they claim that they're different or there's something different about their lifestyle, people take notice because it's different. But the problem is, is at times, is do we really reflect who we're supposed to reflect? Do we ultimately reflect Jesus? See, because real, reality is this, what people want is this, they want authenticity. If you say this is who you follow, then you better walk this way. If you proclaim you're, you're something, then you better live up to it. If you say it, your actions should live up to it. And it doesn't matter if you're someone in, in the public eye. It doesn't matter if you're someone famous. It doesn't matter if you're a politician. It doesn't matter if you're a religious person. If you say something, then you better back it up and do it. Because if not, people don't trust you and you become a hypocrite. And so what happens is, is, is people tend to look at uh, us and they look at religious people differently. But the thing is this, is if you proclaim to follow Jesus and you want to live a life of authenticity, then here's the thing, your life should line up with the teachings of Jesus. Okay? So if I profess to proclaim to follow, my life should line up with what he says. I should love the way he loves. I should be compassionate the way he's compassionate. I should do all those things that Jesus says and lived. I should, I should be that. And re reality is that your life should be a direct mirror. Someone should look in your life, it'd be like a mirror, and the reflection is as they see Jesus. That's what people should see. But the case is this, that doesn't always happen, does it? It doesn't always happen. Because time after time, people profess to follow Jesus, and they don't live up to it. And so our lives are different. You say this one thing, you live another. See, you, you say, well, I love people, but reality is we, we don't. We don't love the way Jesus wanted us to love. We're not kind the way Jesus was kind. We're not gentle the way Jesus was gentle. We don't have self-control the way Jesus had self-control. And then people kind of look at you and like, well, what's going on with that? And a lot of times, some of us, we have trouble because we're human. I mean, that's just the nature of it. We're just human, and sometimes we fail. But there's other times where people are just like, yeah, I profess that I'm Jesus, but I'm still going to do what I want to do. And that causes kind of this, this problem. And so really what, what ends up happening is we don't give the way Jesus gives. We don't give generously. We don't live sacrificially. We just live with our selfish desires, and we live with a short fuse. And people look at us and go, well, there's nothing different about you than there is about me. And the reason why I say that is because we started this series last, like, three, four weeks ago, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Because when you talk about the fruit of the Spirit, 
your life should line up with those things that Jesus is doing inside of you. And what I mean by that is the, the fruit of the Spirit, again, is that when you're in union with God, when you're in union and connection with Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to give you characteristics and qualities of Jesus. So ultimately, what people see on the outside is the qualities and characteristics of Jesus. So you love the way he loves. You have joy the way he had joy. Right? You have peace the way he has peace. You have self-control, goodness, gentleness, and all those things begin to come out on your life and people see and notice a difference. And so the first week we said about this is we said that love was the bottom foundation of everything. That in order to get this right, we have to love right. And there's a process that the Holy Spirit takes you through. And then what we said was this, that as soon as you get to, to love, there's peace. And a lot of us live with no peace. A lot of us have a lot of trouble in, in circumstances. And the thing is, is if you grow to maturity in faith, it will produce peace. That he says, peace I leave with you. Right? Jesus left peace with you, and he left it in the form of the Holy Spirit. He comes, and he gives you this peace. And then last week, we said joy. And we said joy is different from what? Happiness. That your chief goal is not to be happy, is it? Because the reason is, is because happiness is dictated by circumstances, and joy is dictated by a person, and that's Jesus, and he doesn't change. Your circumstances might, but you have this inner rejoicing, this inner peace, and this inner within you that is not determined by circumstances because of what Jesus has done, and he gives you the joy of the Lord if you're near him and if you're looking for it. So now we're going to talk about two words today, and these two words you probably think are similar. We're going to start in Galatians, and then I'm going to go to John, and I'm going to go through the New Testament about these, these, this word. And there's two words. It's kindness and being nice. Kindness and being nice. Now, we think those are, are two similar terms, and we'll talk about that. But as we dive into Scripture, you will notice that they are different. They're completely different. So I'm going to open up to Galatians chapter 5. And according to Paul, they're different. And we'll see how Jesus was kind in, in to, to someone who was close to him. But first, we're going to read through Galatians 5, verse 22. And here's what it talks about. We're going to read it again. It says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So all those things mentioned right there, if you are in connection with God, connection with Jesus, the Holy Spirit produces those in you. If you don't have those in your life, there's a connection problem. Okay? So there's a connection problem if you are not showing these things in your life. And then he says this, against such things there is no law. So the first three, we've talked about love, joy, peace. Now you get to the next three, which is <clears throat> forbearance, kindness, goodness. These are all dealing and relating with other people. So it's about dealing with other people. You're kind to other people. You're good to other people. You're patient with people. So forbearance is patience when you're being provoked. So if, if you have the fruit of the Spirit, you have patience even when you're being provoked. Goodness is reaching out to others and being good to others even when they don't deserve it. And then kindness, you have kindness, it's benevolence in action. And we see this when God, 
was benevolent by sending Jesus to mankind. Right? It was his benevolence in action. He gave us. And so you see God demonstrating that towards man. And the other thing about kindness here is that the word is benign. Okay? And which means not to harm the surrounding environment. Okay? So this Greek word comes from the word benign, which does not mean to, to, to hinder or cause problems or harm the surrounding uh, environment. But let's just let me ask you a question. How many times have you been bothered or put off by somebody because they're not kind? I say a lot of times. I mean, for instance, you, you could be in the store, and this usually gets me, but there's, you're in the store and you're in line, and someone's being rude, and they're just not being kind. And you can tell the customers around, you can tell the employees around, it just sours everybody. And you're just thinking, like, why don't you just be quiet? And why don't you just be nice? Like, this person obviously can't help you. They're having, having a hard day. Can you just stop? And then you're thinking, man, I'm so disgusted. Should I say something? Right? So you, 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 anytime you go to the store or, or times like that or in public, there's people. And even if you're not in public and you're in work or something, somebody can sour the environment because they're not kind. Right? And, and so what Jesus is, um, excuse me, what Paul is saying is he, is, he is saying again that we need to be different. And what happens, though, in most of our lives is this. We've been hurt by someone who professes to follow Jesus. We expected them to be kind. We expected them to be compassionate. And they were complete opposite. And we were hurt. And we were bothered, and we were put off by how they responded. Well, I thought you were. And sometimes pastors do it. Well, I thought you were the pastor. You should act different. Or I thought you were better than this. And so what ends up happening when that takes place, we end up walking away from church. Some people walk away from church. Some people uh, don't ever go to church. They go to another church, and, and it hurts. Can I tell you this? Here's where I have an issue. Sometimes people outside the walls show more kindness than people inside the walls of the church. That doesn't make us better. It makes us worse. And Paul knew that. And so when he's speaking to the Galatians and he's talking about kindness, he is saying this, I want you to show kindness so that you're radically different from anybody else. I want you to show kindness the way Jesus showed kindness so you'll be radically different than someone else. And he wants them not to ruin relationships or ruin the environment around them. He wants Christians to be loving and kind. And that's what he was saying to the Galatians. And that's what he's saying to us as a church. I want you to be different. I want you to be radically different than anyone else. And then so, as Christ followers, we are to follow the example of Jesus. No matter how hard it is. See, Jesus, when he walked the earth, there was something different about him. There was something radically different about him. And we'll look here in a second. There was even something radically different about Jesus and his interaction with his brothers. Not just people, but his brothers. And so you can, we're going to look at John chapter 7. And it's, it's where Jesus shows kindness and begins to change someone. And John, as a witness of this whole thing, writes this down. And he, he writes it down in John chapter 7, in verse 3 and, and verse 4. But let me tell you kind of what's happening with Jesus at this point. 
So before I get to John chapter 7, a couple verses before 3 and 4, what's, what's taking place is Jesus is with his brothers. Now Jesus had, had earthly brothers here. And so they're up in the northern part of Israel, which is the Sea of Galilee, which is this big lake. And the time at this time, there's a feast, a major feast that's going to happen. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles is that they are going to, and you can go to this day to Israel, they spend a few days out in, um, they kind of build these shelters, and wood, wood um, shelters or, or things outside their homes, and they stay in them. And it has helped to remind them of what it was like in the wilderness coming out of Egypt. So they always remember back to the wilderness how God took them out and how they're in open heavens and they're in the blessing and the covering of the Lord. They still do it to this day. Okay, it's also called the Fe- Feast of Booths. So that is happening, taking place. And so in any time in, in Jewish culture, if there's a feast, you have to go back and um, you know, partake in the feast. So what that's happening, while that's about to draw near, Jesus' brothers start to talk to him, okay? And they, they start to talk to him and reason with him. But here's the problem with going uh, south, because they wanted him to go south, as we'll see. The reason why he's up in the north is because if he goes south, the Jewish leaders want to kill him at this time. Now, this is way early. So he does not want to go south. The Feast of Tabernacles is, is about to draw near. And here's what his brothers say to him in verse 3. It says, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea. So leave the north and go to the south. Sounds good, but it's not. So that your disciples there, because here's their motive, so your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. Now again, hey, go to Judea. They didn't know. It's a bad idea, right? Bad idea. But their whole goal was for them to to have Jesus show himself and show his glory to those people. And they wanted him to display himself in a brilliant, powerful way. And so saying, Jesus, would you just come, come down? Would you just show your glory? Because again, we want everyone to see, if you claim who you are, then we want you to show them down there publicly who you are. Okay, so that's what we want. That's not a good idea, but again, they're just thinking it's logical to them. We don't want him to be the best kept secret in town. We want everyone to know who this Jesus is. Okay, but this thing about the brothers and the Lord is this. God's way is not our way. He would reveal himself and he would reveal his glory on the cross and upon humiliation. That's when he revealed who he was, that he was the Messiah, not before then. And so when the brothers asked for Jesus, they say, Jesus, show your glory. It's almost, not almost, it is similar to the way uh, Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. See, when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, he said, hey, turn these stones into bread. Basically, show me a miracle. Show me your glory. And so it is very similar when the brothers come to Jesus and say, hey, do a miracle, show us your glory. Would you do that? But the thing about that is, is Jesus would not show his glory or his miracle because it would not help anybody and it would not bring glory to the Lord. 
It was going to bring glory to the Lord on the cross and what he did for mankind. So it wasn't at this point that he was supposed to reveal himself. But again, the brothers are thinking, man, we have a great idea. We're thinking you should not do, keep yourself a secret. Show yourself publicly, right? And again, Jesus is like, that's not what I'm here, and that's not what I'm supposed to do. Don't keep things a secret. But here's what they say in verse 5. So it says, For even his own brothers did not believe in him. This gets me every time. So his brothers have watched Jesus. They've seen him do his miracles. They're calling him to show his glory. And yet it says this, John says, his own brothers did not even believe in him, that he was the Messiah. I mean, think about that just for a second. You, he's your brother. You've seen him do certain things that nobody else can do, that only God can, can do. You're asking him to reveal himself, yet you don't believe in him. You don't believe in him. And they're not disciples yet. But the interesting thing about this whole thing is when they were challenging Jesus to show his glory, it was almost like, yeah, we're challenging you to show yourself to disciples. But really what they're saying is, we're challenging you to show us. Show us. Not just the disciples. Show us who you say you are. And so the brothers, again, they're searching for this point. They're, they're searching for a miracle, and, and we don't know if the claim, you know, they didn't go further than the claim, give me a miracle. They didn't go further than that. However, this is what we know just by this verse. It doesn't matter the, pro, the proximity you are in. It doesn't matter how close you are to Jesus, whether you are a family member or a disciple. You're not guaranteed faith. Say that again. No matter how close you are, whether you're a family member or you're a disciple of Jesus, you're not guaranteed faith. They didn't have faith. They didn't believe in who he was. So what does that mean? Everyone needs to own their own faith. Everyone needs to own their own faith. If you're a child, if you're a young adult, if you're an adult... You have to own your own faith. Look, coming to church Sunday after Sunday does not make you have faith. Growing up in the church doesn't mean you own your own faith. Being the brother of Jesus doesn't make you own your own faith. Everyone has to own their own faith. And, and as we know, we, you grow up and, and children, and they become young adults, and they make decisions. And they make decisions, and some are positive, and some are negative. And just like you grow, as we grow up, and our kids grow up, and you grow up, and you make decisions, you have to make a decision about your faith. Because in the end, everyone, including myself, will be accountable for the decision we made, who Jesus really is. And the disciples were accountable for who Jesus really was and is. And for, for that means, each person is responsible. Each person is responsible. And see, when I was doing middle school, I, I began to, to watch kids develop from 6th grade to 8th grade. And as I was pastoring these, these students from 6th to 8th grade, I knew by the 8th grade where their walk was and where they were headed. 
And I told him. I said, if you're not careful, you're headed down this path. Or you know what? I see something great and God's doing great things and you continue down that path. But I, I was very clear in what I wanted them to, to know and understand. I said, you need to have your own faith. It is not your mom and dad. You're responsible now for your own faith and your own decisions. And we could tell. We could tell which direction they would go. So here's why I want to encourage you. Real quick, kind of a side note. If you're a parent, what does that mean for you? I'll tell you what it means for you. Two things. One, you need to pray for your child or children daily. Daily. And you pray for your child every day. You pray for their faith. You pray that the Lord would, would do something in their life. You pray for their friends this year. You pray for their school. You pray for their future spouse. You pray for breakthrough. I don't care. You start praying for your child every single day. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is their relationship with Jesus. Not their career, not how much money they make, who they marry, and their relationship with Jesus. Most important things. And the second thing is this, and we don't, I don't do this all the time very well. You might not do this very well. You might do this great. The next thing is you need to model your faith. Model faith for them. Okay, just model your faith. And even if you haven't, you can begin to start today. If you haven't done it great, you can, there's still today to do that. Model faith for them. See, kids will catch your morals. They'll catch your values. They will catch your faith. They will catch your faith. So if you, those two things allow, allow God to do that again because everything else is secondary to relationship with Jesus. Okay, so, so back, back to the story. That was kind of a side note, but here's, here's kind of what, what happens. So even though the brothers don't believe, something transpires over, over a day. So they have to, again, they have to own their own faith. They don't believe him at first, and now Paul writes, and they begin to have something here, and something begins to transpire. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul begins to say and, and talk about his encounter back with James. Now again, James did not believe in Jesus, and something transpires over a period of time. Jesus dies, he rises from the dead, and what Paul says is he shows himself to the high priest, he shows himself to the apostles, and Jesus shows himself to 500 people. And then he says he shows himself to these two men in verse 7. In Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and at last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. See, there are those who try to say the resurrection is failure. Resurrection doesn't matter. It doesn't count. It's all false because they believe that these men just had visions of faith and that there was just something that it was just a vision. It was made up in their head. But reality is if you cited the two testimonies of Paul and James, it kind of counteracts or kind of contradicts that because for James, like Paul, probably came to faith after Jesus rose from the dead. He believed after Jesus came to life. Think about that. You know him. He's your brother. You, you don't believe anything. You watch the miracles. You watch him do the 5,000, feed the 5,000. You watch him walk, all this stuff, and all of a sudden, he comes from the dead, and you're like, okay, he's real. He's God. 
And see, Paul, the same thing. He says he's abnormally born because Paul didn't leave through the time of Jesus, but he had a revelation of Jesus and met Jesus on the road to Damascus. See, they're, they're, the interesting thing is, is that Jesus' appearance to his brother, even though he was skeptical, Jesus showed kindness to him and revealed himself as a son of man. And that very day, confirming his identity brought comfort to James, and James made a decision that Jesus was the Messiah. And James is the one that actually writes the book of James. And so out of all of this, it, it leads us to this, that acts of kindness express Jesus' love and brings comfort to others. Acts of kindness. See, Jesus didn't have to show up. He was benevolent. He did benevolence in action. James, I'm just going to show you who I am. And it's out of James being skeptical, Jesus' compassion, that it led him to the Lord. And so acts of kindness... Acts of kindness express Jesus' love and brings us comfort to others. Now, when you think of the words kindness and you think of the words nice, you think they're interchangeable, don't you? Right? She's nice. Oh, she's kind. What a nice thing he did. Wasn't that a kind thing he did? Oh my gosh, he was so nice. Oh, she was so kind. Right? And we think they're intertwined, that they're the same meaning. But if you look at Galatians, what does he say? The fruit of the Spirit is being nice. No, he says the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. It's benevolence in action. All right? It's the benign, not harming the, the surrounding environment. So when you, you think about this, here's what Jesus is calling us. When you're in the union with the Holy Spirit, kindness begins to come out. So Jesus is calling us not to be nice. He's calling us to be what? Kind. Is there a difference? Yes. And let me read you something. It's Marcia Satora. And it was, she writes an article, The Difference Between Being Nice and Being Kind. And here's what she says. At the root of extreme kindness, or excuse me, at the extreme niceness, are feelings of inadequacy and the need to get approval and validation from others. Overly nice people try to please so they can feel good about themselves. Genuinely kind people are giving because it's in their nature to care. And since they have no ulterior motives, I'll see here, they aren't concerned with whether or not people like them. No ulterior motives, right? There is no ulterior motives, and that is Jesus. Jesus appeared to James, and he had no ulterior motives. Nothing. I'm just going to show myself. I'm going to give him myself. I'm not, I don't have anything other than just to be kind to you. And Jesus was kind to people. And he had no ulterior motives when he was kind to people when he walked the earth. He wasn't looking to get something from somebody. In fact, it says this, that his kindness leads us to repentance. See, here's what it says in Romans, and it's, it's a different, uh, different version of the New Living, and I love what the New Living says. It says, don't you see... How wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see his kindness is intended to turn you away from your sin? I love that version, and I love that verse. Because it's God's kindness that gets you from doing the things you want to do and turn towards him. 
And it's kindness in you that can help someone turn towards Jesus. It was his kindness when he showed up to James and says, Look, James, here I am. I'm alive. You are the Son of God. You are the Son of God. And when we're kind, we show the love of Jesus to other people. See, anyone can be nice, can't they? Anyone can be nice. It's a different story when you're a person who shows kindness. It is a different story when you show someone like kindness. And Jesus didn't want anything returned from James. Jesus doesn't want anything returned from us. He just, kindness. I died for you, and you have the choice. And in turn, I want to be in union with you. I want to be connected with you so that you can show others kindness and you can show others the way I lived. You can show others the way I operate. And see, again, anyone can be nice, but the thing that separates us from anyone else is our kindness. And I want to read you one one thing because it happened a few years back and it happened to a group of employees who showed kindness, who changed a woman's life forever. And it happened in the, in the Dutch Brothers, and we don't have Dutch Brothers coffee here, but it happened in the Pacific Nor- Northwest years, about a few years back. And let me read you the kind of the clipping out of the Oregonian. It says this, It was a profound moment captured on camera. A group of coffee shop employees hailing from different religious backgrounds huddled together at a drive through window to pray for a grieving customer. Barbara Danner was in line at the Dutch Bros drive-through in Vancouver, Washington last week when she fo- was photographed in the encounter. So you can show the photograph. There it is. It says the woman in the car ahead lost her 37-year-old husband the night before. Danner explained on on Facebook. When the Dutch brothers guys and gals noticed she was falling apart, they stopped everything and prayed with her for several minutes. Invited her to come back for prayer and support as well as anything she might need. Dutch Brothers employees told the Oregonian that the woman was visibly upset when she drove to the window. After learning that she recently been widowed, 19-year-old Pierce Dunn offered her free coffee, and then he asked, could I pray for you? She said yes. Dunn and his co-workers stopped everything reached for the customer's hand and prayed. That moment was absolutely incredible. Dunn, who is a Christian, told the paper. It was so emotional, and Dunn's co-worker, Evan Freeman, said he's not religious, but that his own beliefs were secondary at the moment to the customer's needs. Think about that for a second. A guy who's not religious sees another person showing kindness and prays for them. Here's what what he said. He said, She could have wanted an apple, and I would have gone and planted a tree and grown her apple. It just happened to be religion that she wanted. The Dutch Brothers crew said the encounter had enormous impact on them. And they told the news station that they were still thinking about the woman days later. I hope that she's starting to find some solid ground, because when I saw her face... It looked like her entire floor got ripped from under her and she was falling, he said. That is amazing. Showing kindness to somebody changed their life forever. Not only did he change the customer, who did he change? 
His friend who wasn't even religious. He noticed something different in him. I wasn't even religious, but I stopped everything because I wanted to be a part of what was taking place. See, some people, you know what they need? They need you to love them. They need you to hear them. They need you to care for them the way Jesus loved, heard, and cared for people. And sometimes, if you're brave enough, like that 21-year-old, you pray for them. You pray for them. Because that's what they need. That's what people need. And so, here's what, what kind of, we need to be like those Dutch brothers' employees. But here's sometimes where we, we kind of have this misconception. We feel like that our kindness never goes noticed. Acts of kindness never go unnoticed. You know why? Because right now, you can think of the time right now when someone was kind to you. And it's made an impact on your life. Maybe, they, maybe you couldn't get groceries. Maybe you're sick. They brought you something. Maybe you, you were in, um, just had surgery. You're at a hospital or something. They brought you a meal. Maybe they text you a, a great memory when you two went to a great event or you spent some time together. Or, in fact, maybe they just gave you a gift out of, the, out of nowhere. But their kindness has an impact on you. You're sitting here today, and you can remember that. Acts of kindness do not go unnoticed, no matter how small they are. And I'll tell you what, acts of kindness don't go unnoticed. People see the love of Jesus, and it comforts them. That 37-year-old, I guarantee you, her life has been changed from that moment on because she saw Jesus in somebody because of his kindness. A 21-year-old. So in light of all that, in light of your faith, what can you do? So I'm asking you this. What can you do this week as an individual? Who can you show kindness to? Maybe someone comes to mind. What can we do as a church to show kindness? What can we do? As a family, how can you show kindness? And then I want to leave you with this question. What can you do this week that will impact someone's life because of the kindness you show? See, you don't know what hangs in the balance of you showing Jesus to other people. You don't know if you're going to impact someone's eternity tomorrow or this week because you and I were willing to show kindness. We were willing to show kindness. And when we show kindness, what happens? Our faith grows. And when our faith grows, we become mature, we stay in union with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to deliver and qualities of Jesus. And we're not like everybody else. We begin to be different. So this week, let's show kindness so people will see the love of Jesus and it will comfort them. And let's begin to do that as a church. Let's grow to what Jesus has for us. Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information on our church or you'd like to visit us in person, you can go to basinchurch.org. And as always, we hope this content helps you on your faith journey.